Hello, and welcome to Decoded Brave Conversations with LCW. I'm your host, Larry Baker, and I use he, him pronouns. For those of you that are unfamiliar with LCW, we are a global DEI training, consulting, and translation firm that partners with organizations to develop mindsets, skills, and systems to succeed in a culturally diverse world. This season, we're unpacking coded language in the workplace. Coded language refers to phrases that could be potentially masking bias or quips that may have unintended negative impact. Each episode, we'll discuss the real meaning and the implications of a new coded phrase, how it connects to larger systemic issues, and then here's some personal stories and some tips to help us notice and call in bias. So thank you for joining us today on the Decoded Brave Conversations with LCW. Today's phrase that we're going to take a look at is, but you don't look autistic. So this phrase, but you don't look autistic, presupposes autism as an other or ostracizing autistic people from the conversation and discounting the community's diverse lived experiences. So today we're going to talk about how do we respond to anti-autistic microaggressions and what we can do to foster a sense of belonging through inclusive language. And to help me unpack this conversation, I am joined by lead consultant and founder of Truly Inclusive Leadership, Becca Lori Hector who uses the pronouns of she and her. And I'm going to give Becca an opportunity to introduce herself in a moment. But this is the phrase that we're going to tackle. And I think that this phrase has so many wide-reaching implications. And Becca, I'm super excited for you to join us on today to kind of break this term down. So Becca, I gave you a very cheap introduction. So I want to give you the opportunity to expound on who you are and what you do. So Becca, if you would, thank you. I appreciate that so much. So um, I like to say that I'm a lot of things because I, I wear a lot of hats um, and that list gets long. But really, my my whole mission and everything is um, really to kind of affect the, the changes that we need in our workplaces by helping to close the employment disability gap. Um, it's a big issue for us um, and that it affects a huge portion of our population. Um, and so that's something that I'm really working towards. And what that looks like out in the world is um, a lot of DEIB consulting. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging consulting. Um, and I say that because that was the way that the disabled community was finally heard about the workplace. We, we snuck in in that DEI, um, under that DEI mission um, for a really long time, we were left out of that conversation. So um, we finally made it into the DEI conversation and I'm able to do consulting and um, change up the workplaces via that. Awesome. That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Becca. And how long have you been engaged in this work? 
Uh, so I've been really actively focused on this work uh, for the last three years. Prior okay. to that, I've been um, focused on just autism and neurodiversity segment of the disabled population because uh, okay. I was diagnosed autistic myself uh, almost 11 years ago now okay. at the age of 36. Okay. Um, and so I've been in nonprofit advocacy um, and nonprofit management um, for the last 10 years. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Becca. So, Becca, as we hop into our conversation around this phrase, one thing that I do want to acknowledge is that we truly do understand that in many cases, when people are making this phrase, but you don't look autistic, it's almost from a point of no, not having any harmful intentions, if you will. So if you could share with me just a little bit of insight on your personal experience with this phrase, how does it make you feel? How do you how do you interpret uh, when someone says that? So if you could give me just a little bit of your own personal experiences around this phrase, but you don't look autistic. Absolutely. Um, I, I, for me, that phrase obviously entered my life a lot later than for some people. Um, I was, you know, 36 years old and I got a new identity label and I had to mm. figure it out at 36. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of work surrounding it. Um, but what I understood as I entered into the community was that people were saying it like it was a compliment. Yeah. Right. So the people mm -hmm. that were saying it to me were saying it in the same way that people say, oh, you don't sound black, right? Yes. Right? It's, it, yes. it marries that, that parallel, right? It's a really similar thing. Like, oh, you're saying that to me like it's a compliment, and that's a huge insult, right? Yes. Like, yes. what do you mean by that? What What is the baggage behind that statement? Absolutely. Right? Right. So for us as autistic people, the baggage behind that statement is a autism doesn't have a look. All of us look different because we're all different human beings. Right. And there mm -hmm. is no look to autism. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It also um, digs up layers and layers of trauma for us where we have been invalidated about our experiences. Right. Mm -hmm where we've been told that, no, you're not autistic, you're just weird or unique or this mm -hmm. or that, right? Or broken, which was what we, a lot of us heard, right? Um, and so there's that layer to it, right? Um, and then now, all of these years later, it's, it's like an ironic red flag of a toxic human being to me, is what it oh. is to me, okay. right? So if somebody says it to me now, 10 years into advocacy, seeing the world change, watching people talk about DEI issues, talk about microaggressions, talk about bias, talk about all of these things. If you're still saying, but you don't look autistic, I know the level of human I'm dealing with, right? Yeah. It tells me something about you now, not yeah. about you. That's right? awesome, Becca. And that just shows right? the... The amount of work that's going to have to go into engaging in that conversation. You know, I love how you made the parallel about the fact that when this phrase is used, it's typically viewed as a compliment. And it absolutely resonated with me when you said, oh, you don't sound black or you don't act like other black people. Like, that's a compliment. And, and, and the way you tied it in with the whole um, correlation to the association with being Black is being broken, or there's something that's um, 
that's not right with being black. So that connection is absolutely something that I receive and that really, really resonates with me. So I absolutely appreciate you doing that. And it leads me to another thought process that I'd like you to, you know, venture into with me because you talked about how you are so uh, such a proponent of breaking down those barriers in the workplace for individuals with autism. Can you talk to me a little bit about what are some of the barriers that an individual might face when they choose to disclose that they're autistic? Can you talk a little bit about that? You could do it for the workplace or you can do it for society. I'm, I'm going to let you. I have to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about society because to me, the workplace is just a microcosm of our like society. Agreed. Right. So Agreed. I think same rules should apply if they don't. I'm sorry. That's not the case for you. Right. Okay, so right. that's, that's how I really look at it. Right. Okay. And the thing is that, um, you know, when we're talking about these issues, there's, there are, there's the current state of affairs and how we want to deal with it now. And then there's our wishes and dreams and hopes for the future and what it would look like. Right. Yes, yes, agreed. So when we talk about disclosure, I, I always want to start with, please understand that having the ability to choose disclosure is a privilege. Yeah. Okay. Start there. Right. Okay. Some people have a, on the outside visible version of their disability that uh, it, they can't, you know what I mean? Like if the bias yeah, is Someone's seeing them walking, it's happening, right? Yeah. Um, when you have an invisible disability that people can't see the supports you need, like those are not external supports that you need, or they can't see your external challenges, you then live in a small land of privilege, right? You've taken a step into privilege because of the way our world is structured, the hierarchy yes. of our world, right? Yes. So I now yes. have the option as someone with an invisible disability to choose disclosure or not. And that yes. already puts me in a step ahead of a lot of people, a step Absolutely. ahead of a lot of the bias and discrimination and all of that. Yes. So I lead a conversation on disclosure. I remind you that it's a privilege to be in a conversation about it, to be able to have that conversation and have mm -hmm. that. Um, then I talk about it realistically. Is it safe to disclose an invisible disability in our current workplace? I would say no, not right now. Mm. I would say unless you are 100% secure in your job and you, or if you lose it, you don't care, right? Yeah. Or if you are running your own business and that is under your control, right? Um, unless you are in those circumstances, I do not think, and I do not advise um, disclosure in the workplace. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can ask for the things that you need without necessarily disclosing your disability. And I say that because currently our workplaces are full of stigma, bias, and ableism, right? Mm -hmm. And until that changes, it's not safe to disclose. There are currently still repercussions for disclosure, whether they are overt and, um, you know, documented or, you know, less, you know, overt and not documented, right? Mm -hmm. Like bullying, gaslighting and things like that, right? But there are absolutely repercussions of folks knowing that you're different in some way or that yeah. you belong to a marginalized community in some way, right? Um, and if you are not a strong person mentally, physically, whatever, it's not always smart to have to take on that extra weight that it means yeah. to be open, right? It's yeah. unwise. Um, and so that's where we're at now, right? Mm. What I hope for, 
is a world in which disclosure doesn't count, or we don't even have conversations about disclosure, where our workplaces are built under concepts of universal design and anticipating the differing needs of all different human beings, that those needs are met ahead of, hand, ahead of time and folks don't need to disclose something personal about themselves in order to have their needs met. They don't have to separate themselves, right? That's, that is such an amazing concept of that doing it beforehand, the anticipation that you're going to uh, have to make those accommodations for individuals. But you touched upon a couple of things that I'd like for you to dig a little bit deeper in. You talked sure. about this whole concept of your in, individuals with invisible disabilities, they have a certain level of privilege. Can you break that down? Because I think that when most people hear that phrase privilege, and I know from conversations that I have around the topic of privilege, that is like the phrase that shuts people down mm -hmm. the most. And the reason yep. why it shuts people down is because I don't feel like they truly understand the definition of privilege because Correct. the assumption <laughs> that, was, that most people, that. right, the, the assumption that most people have when we say privilege is that your life was easy. You right. didn't have to work hard. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about with privilege because my, my definition of privilege, it's not about the things that you had to go through to accomplish what you accomplished. It's the things that you didn't have to go through That's to accomplish right. what you accomplished. So talk to me a little bit about that, how you how you present to individuals with invisible disabilities that they have a privilege. Because I know they're saying to you, Becca, I have autism. Oh, right. How do I have privilege? Can okay. you talk a little bit about that conversation? Sure. So here's the thing, right? Inherently, human beings have bias. It's called unconscious bias. It has to do with being raised by who you were raised by, where you were raised, and the, you know what I mean? All of those Agreed. things. And I whether do. when you grew up, you decided to throw that to the wind and say, I'm going to start all over and recreate these things for myself, or you continue to live under what you were taught, right? Either way, you have, everyone has their own version of unconscious bias, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So when um, I step into a room, whether or not I identify as a woman or all of those things, right? The first thing people will see is that I'm a woman. They will then notice that I'm a white woman, right? Yeah. What they will not notice is that I'm autistic. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they can't see it. Right. It yes. goes back to that. You don't look autistic. Right. Exactly. We're back at, right. So you don't see it. Um, and the problem is that autistic people are currently categorized as um, either high or low functioning. We also get different levels sometimes, which is the current way we are diagnosed. Um, and folks like to try to look at the spectrum as though, you know, there's two ends of it. You're, you're very autistic or not autistic at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. like that. We all kind of present differently. Right. Yeah. Um, and so some people you can visually externally see their support needs. Yes. Right. Yes. And you as an outsider experience their challenges with them because yes. you see that they have external supports. So yes. we say externally presenting. Right. Yeah. They have externally presenting autism. It has nothing to do with their abilities or their inabilities or their strengths or their weaknesses. Just fact. You can right. see that they need supports. Yes. I, however, have a lot of internal challenges. A lot of my challenges have to do with self-regulation and mm -hmm. sensory issues and executive functioning issues um, yeah. and depression and anxiety, right? And things people can't see, yet they are disabling to me, yeah. right? 
and the yeah. support that I need for them, you don't experience, right? Yeah. And that puts me in a place of privilege. I step in and I get to choose which one of people's unconscious biases I want them to have. Do I want to deal with all three of them? That's or good. do I not want to deal with that third one today? That's amazing. Right? And That's that amazing. is a privilege, right? That is amazing, Becca. And I thank you for breaking that down because, in, in, again, that word privilege tends to shut people down because they want to use it in a way that it's not specific to. Correct. And that, right? I hate that as a disabled person because I call that like that language has been co opted, right? People mm. took the word, right? And it started yes. being a thing with air quotes, right? Yes. And yes. now people think that that thing with air quotes is the thing that the word means, right? Exactly. It happened to the word accommodations, right? Yeah. For people who are disabled. People yeah. hear that, they go ADA, oh my God, lawsuit. Exactly. Right? And it's like, no, no, no. I'm asking, can I control the lighting in my room? That's an yeah. accommodation, right? Yeah. And so it's, again, a co-option of language. My language was stolen from me. The ability to use the language I need was yeah. taken from me. And the disabled community is now in the place that the civil rights community was in, that Absolutely. the LGBT community was in. Like, we are in those footsteps. It's not yeah. like we can anticipate what's coming, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The charge has been led. We can yeah. see where it's going, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's where we're at in that space. Like, reclaim our language. Take yeah. back our culture right like no no yeah, nah. yeah. I, I love that statement because you know for me personally reclaiming our language that's one of the biggest concepts that i focus on when we talk about the word woke right people have hijacked the word woke yes. to make it mean something that it never was intended to mean but because i want to control the narrative Correct. i take these words <laughs> And I hijack them so that I don't have to deal with it, right? Yeah. If I demonize this word to such a level, it it insulates me from having to engage in these conversations. So yeah. I absolutely agree with you, Becca. The other thing that you said that I really want you to give me some examples of, because in my mind, I kind of know what examples would relate to these two, but I want you to give me some specifics. So you talked about stigma bias and ableism bias. Can you give me some examples of what that looks like? And it could be in the workplace or again, like you said, society primarily, but the workplace is, is, is a microcosm of society. But can you give me some examples for people that may be like, yeah, I still don't get it, Becca? Give yeah. me an example. We're gonna get a little bit nasty though, right? Because these That's are the fine. this is it, right? These are these are the hot topics. This is what people are the real people are dealing with, right? On a regular basis, right? People don't like these words, they're fiery, right? A lot of time I, I use the word bias, it's a little softer than discrimination, right? But yeah. really bias is discrimination. That's what it okay. is, right? It's when you have the bias and you act upon that bias is discrimination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the area that we're talking about in these in here. Um, when we talk about stigma, we're talking about that unconscious bias. Right. But the global unconscious bias. Right. So mm -hmm. sort of a societal belief about a group of people. Right. Yes. And so, for example, the word disabled. Right. Um, it's become a dirty word in our society. 
Disabled yeah. people do not feel dirty about the word disabled. We will use right. it all over. You don't have to tiptoe around us and say differently abled or special mm -hmm. needs or any of that stuff, right? We're not afraid of that word. Mm -hmm. But the world is afraid to use it because they made it a scary word. And so now right. it's a word people whisper behind your back. Now it's a word that people use to um, make you make you a difficult employee, right? And we create myths around these words. Yeah. So what a lot of folks deal with, I'll give you a workplace example, right? There are a huge amount of um, myths about disabled people in the workplace, right? Um, mm -hmm. There are endless amounts. Um, my favorite is that we're more expensive to have as employees, that mm -hmm. we are more difficult to have as employees, or mm -hmm. that we're more expensive to have as employees. Right. 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 Not yeah. true. None of that is true. But yeah. if you look back into history, those same excuses get used for other marginalized groups, too. Right. Absolutely. It's the way they are controlling the narrative. Right. Yes. It's that piece. Right. Yep. So that's the stigma that we deal with. I walk in, people have a concept of dis what disabled means in their head. Right. Mm -hmm. And it kind of covers the whole organization or whatever group I'm dealing with. Um, right. I can guess that's the majority belief in that room. Yeah. Right. Stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Bias is a belief in some way, shape or form that one group of people is better than another group of people or one way of being, one way of looking, one way of acting, one way, right, is better than some other group, that there's a hierarchy out there yeah. somewhere of human nature, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that hierarchy um, creates this idea of bias, that somebody's better than somebody else, that somehow the people that are all the same are better than the people that are different. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why we built our workplaces for sameness. We built it around that concept that we should all work the same way, put out the same amount of work, work the same amount of hours, right? Work the same days of the week, all yeah. of that stuff. And what that does is leave marginalized groups out, right? Because yeah. if you're part of that sameness group, that's a privilege, mm. right? Um, and so there's that bias immediately. Yeah. It's in our it's everywhere. It's not even just in our workplaces, right? Mm -hmm. Ableism, um, I, I'm gonna use the word here, so get ready. Um, is I equate to racism. It is that serious, right? Mm -hmm. It is exactly the same thing. It is those inherent biases that exist within our language, our societal norms, right? Our public spaces, our employment space, whatever it is that that exists and are allowed to exist freely that discount disabled people, right? Okay. That leave okay. us out. That is the ableism. What does that look like? It looks different for all the different disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. What can it look like? It can look like having a deaf employee but not ensuring that captions are happening at your meetings or there's no translator, yeah. right? Yeah. Ableism, right? Yeah. Um, it's about um, requiring everyone to be on camera in meetings. Um, because otherwise they're not really there, right? Yeah. Which isn't true, right? Some people right. are shy on camera. They never chose to be on camera in their lives. Like mm -hmm. they just want to do their job, right? Right. Um, right. And also, you know, whether or not your hair is is clean and done and you brushed your teeth that morning doesn't necessarily <laughs> affect whether or not you can do your job, right? Or whether you can make that meeting. So let's be real, right? That's a made up yeah. thing. And when we put in those made up barriers, we discount the people who actually need to be off camera or who actually are feeling physically disabled that day and don't have the energy to shower. And yeah. so they can't be on camera and look, mm -hmm. right? And you know, yeah. Becca, that's one of the things that, and you know, full transparency for me, because 90% of what I do 
is facilitated sessions. Now, in this more recent environment, they've turned into more virtual sessions. Mm -hmm. So my interaction with people, they are less and less face-to-face. And that was one of the things that I had to consciously uh, mitigate my bias towards individuals that didn't have the camera on, right? Mm -hmm. So until I became aware that that is actually something that may inhibit someone's ability to fully engage in the session, I didn't know, right? right? I felt like it was about me. It was about my perspective. It was about how I wanted the classroom to be represented. And it was absolutely a shift for me to say, no, I need to meet other folks' needs. And it's not about them focusing on meeting my needs. So I'm so glad that you brought that out as an example. And really, example. it's not even about, it's actually about paying attention to our human needs, I think, yeah. as people, right? Yeah. Like, it's about your needs, too. I'm sure mm-hmm. there are days when you're like, man, I can be there and I can give you the stuff, but I just can't smile today. I'm sorry, <laughs> right? And so camera off, right? Or something right. like that. We all have our days and we all, and it doesn't mean we don't want to be there. And it doesn't mean that we're not doing our best work. It just means we need a little flexibility around our humanity, right? Yeah. Like be cool if today I can't use a camera. It doesn't mean that yeah. I don't care. It doesn't mean that I'm not there, right? Yeah. And it is, it's a shift in habits, but that's yeah. what the whole world is asking for right now. We've yeah. integrated this new pronoun thing, right? You even introduced me with my pronouns. We yeah, all have yeah. to learn that, man. I had to learn it. Right. Yeah, I have to consciously still as an almost 50 year old woman, I have mm-hmm. to be like, nope, don't just assume, say they instead, just in case. Right. Yeah. And things like that, because I'm still learning. Absolutely. Right? And Absolutely. not only am I learning, but I'm also trying to relearn old habits, which is yeah. really hard the older you get. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there's some kindness to self in there for mm-hmm. that learning curve, right? Yeah. And having to know that. And you also hope that the groups that you're doing it for appreciate that you're trying, yes. right? And yes. all of those things. So it's about all of us, all of this flexibility and this ask for our needs to be met is like, because we left our humanness out of so much yeah. for so long, yeah. right? To chase the almighty dollar or whatever our the concept Mindset. was, yeah. Right? yeah, the power or whatever people want. Um, but that means that a whole lot of people are unhappy all of the time, like yeah, unhappy. That's, that's great. That that human element that we tend to overlook so much because, again, <laughs> in pursuit of X, Y or Z goal or, or initiative or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I absolutely uh, resonate with that. So I, I want to ask you just a, a just for some advice, right? And I want you to give this advice on two different levels. Uh, The first focus that I'd like for you to consider giving advice to, I want you to speak to the people that are on the receiving end of this microaggression, but you don't look autistic. What what advice do you have for them to um, engage or to deal with those types of comments. So I'll ask you to do the folks that are targeted by it, but then we'll talk about the allies in a moment. So what kind of advice do you have? Um, I have mixed advice because it depends on what kind of person you are, right? And it it also, to me, depends on the kind of company you're in, right? 
So, like, if I'm hanging out at a bar and somebody wants to say that to me, right, my response to them is probably going to be something snarky, right? <laughs> Here, I'm out, right? I'll probably, at this point in my life, make a joke out of it because I'm out, I'm socializing, right? And at this yeah. point in our culture, autistics, have, it has become a, a joke within our, our community that people mm. still say this to us, right? So, yeah. we, we say things like, oh, yeah, I went out and I met some people. They found out I was autistic. You know, they did the whole, you don't look autistic thing. And right. Well, right, so we we we're kind of we're at the point where we're laughing at ourselves, but also laughing at you guys, right? Mm -hmm. In that way. Um, so I would say if I was out in a bar, I'd probably say something like, "Really? Well, what does autism look like?" Right. Right. To so me, yeah. tend to do that kind of snarky response, or "Oh shit, I forgot to put my mask on today. I'm sorry." Right. right. Or like things, <laughs> stupid things like that that really point out the ignorance of the statement, right? Because right. I'm out socially. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm out for my job, it's a learning experience stop we must all pause in this moment right because if somebody's still saying a microaggression out loud it's mm. a learning moment right yeah. they likely don't know that it's a microaggression and yeah. so it's a chance to educate right yeah. and then educate anybody else who might be listening to right yeah. and so that's yeah. that moment right it's a learning moment um yeah, yeah. really say you know no we don't say that because right xyz yeah. and here's why and i know you think about it this way but try saying xyz right yeah. we go into that scenario i put on my little advocate hat and we have yeah. a nice conversation right yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know and then I'm, there are times too when i'm with family where that has happened where when i was first diagnosed i was dealing with family members or friends right mm -hmm. and that response is really painful so yeah. when it's people who are close to us, what it means is that you've made no effort to learn anything about us or our community or, right, our lingo or what it means to us or how to talk to us or any of those things. It yeah. also means you've never stopped to ask us any clarifying questions about it or, or, or anything because we would have told you, right? Yeah. So what it really feels like is I don't, you know, what you need doesn't matter to me or I don't love you, I don't see you, right? All of those yeah. things. That's deep. Yeah. It comes from a family member or a friend, and that's the truth. Um, yeah. And so how we deal with that is, you know, up to how your relationships are with your families and friends and where you are with your diagnosis and understanding your identity, how strong you feel, how much you can tolerate in that way. Um, but those are the most painful ones for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so let's expound on the advice because you kind of touched upon a group that yeah. I want to make a natural transition to. So. What advice do you have for those individuals that want to be allies to uh, the autistic community? What what advice do you have for those family members? How how do you how do you uh, encourage them to engage in that deeper knowledge? What type mm -hmm. of advice would you offer? Well, I what I offer to people is to be curious. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, I just, I just be curious. Like, remember when you were eight years old and you didn't think about people's feelings when you wanted to ask a question, you just wanted to know. Right. right? And like, yeah. you didn't understand social niceties and all that stuff. Like, remember that person inside you and be curious, right? Let it light a fire under you that someone has a perspective that you've not seen before. Or you don't understand and ask those questions. Oh my God, this person has shared with you something vulnerable that you may or may not be able to see, right? And they've shared this this truth about themselves. They shared with you their 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 perhaps their strongest identity. For some it is not, right? They have other identities. Um, 
they may have shared their intersectionality with you, right? All the other identities that they, they live in. And that's a trust moment. That is, I'm being vulnerable with you and trusting you that if I tell you my truth, you're not going to use it against me. Yeah, that's good. Right? That's and so good. when someone shares that information with you, be curious and be kind, right? Yeah. Because that person is in a vulnerable state. It's like if they told you that they just had their heart broken, right? They're not coming to you and sharing this information like they just got a haircut. What do you think? Yeah. Right? And so we don't want to treat it like that's what they're telling you. So we want to be curious and say, okay, thanks for sharing that with me, right? This is what I would love that when I first got diagnosed, I would have loved this response from people. It now sounds robotic to me, but I would have loved this, right? Thank you for sharing that information with me. I appreciate your trust right? What does it mean to you to be diagnosed with autism? What does it mean to you to be autistic? Whatever. Mirror the language that person is sharing with you, right? Um, and, and be curious. What does it mean for you? What are those challenges for you? What is it? What will it look like for me? And most mm -hmm. importantly, what can I do to support you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we can't assume other people's needs. We can't try to, you know, be a people pleaser and fix things before they're broken and do all that crazy hovering mom stuff. It doesn't help anybody. Right. Yeah. So what we want to know is curiously, is there something I can and it may be nothing. It might mm -hmm. be, oh, no, you don't have to do anything. I just wanted to share that with you, which how priceless is that? Right. Yeah. If you're in a romantic relationship or you're in a friendship or in a family relationship with someone and that's all that that was, what a beautiful moment you're sharing yeah. with, right? And what they're yeah. saying to you is I invite you closer. Yeah. And if your yes. response to that isn't thank you, right, for inviting me in, that's your social problem, not their social problem, right? And so that's really the response. It is. Yeah. It's just tell me what that means for you. What has that meant for you in your life? If you're an adult, right? What does that mean for you if you're a little kid who's learning your own identity, right? Yeah. Seem yeah. curious questions, right? Yeah, and that that that's such. I mean, that's such a great piece of advice, Becca. And it, I think it's universal, right? And I mean, I think it can impact so many different uh, marginalized groups, if you will, approaching those lived experiences with genuine curiosity and authenticity and just to understand their experiences more yes. and not feeling like, well, I'm uncomfortable asking Becca that question because what if she says something that I'm uncomfortable with? Right. Here, right. right. And, what if you're and, uncomfortable? I love that one. Yeah. So it, I think that that is such a great piece of advice to go in it with a genuine curiosity and authenticity that shows that you care about that individual. So thank you so much. Part, yeah, the best part about that is that you can't really offend somebody if that's the route you take. Absolutely. Right? It's a safe zone too, right? Yeah. Just, man, I, I don't know. So help, right? That's yeah. a really humble place to come into a conversation. And I don't yeah. know any other human being who doesn't turn and respond kindly to that kind of inquiry. Right. It's, it's yeah. the way to go. I, I love that, Becca. I mean, you just you just provided the answer for uh, so many people that say, well, I don't I want to I want it to be a safe space. How how can I ensure that I'm creating a safe space for this conversation to occur? And you said it. it just be curious. Just be authentic. Just mm -hmm. be humble and caring 
to engage in the conversation and you've created a safe space. I yeah. love that. I love that. Becca, this has been an incredible conversation and we could do this for hours and hours. And of course, we just don't have the time to do that. But before we go, Becca, I want to give you the opportunity to tell folks who are listening to our podcast and, 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 and may have pulled some of these nuggets that you've shared. How can we get in touch with you? What, how do we reach out to you to maybe potentially engage in this conversation even further? So tell the folks how they can reach out to you, please. Absolutely. So um, real easy way is to head to my website, which is trulyinclusiveleadership.com. Um, you can use my contact page there and get in touch with me directly. Um, another really great way to find me and probably find me kind of in, in real time would be on LinkedIn. I tend to okay. be on there a lot. Um, I do a lot of work in there. So um, you'll definitely find me in there. You can connect with me there and reach out through direct message. I'm happy to answer those. Um, and my favorite, favorite, favorite thing to do is um, to come in and have these kinds of conversations, give these kinds of presentations. Um, I do that in corporate settings as part of training protocols and other things that I do. But I'm also happy to come into ERGs and talk about my lived experience. I'm happy to come into other groups that are wanting to learn more about the autistic and neurodiverse experience or the disabled experience. Um, I really just want to leave the world a better place than I found it for myself. Um, and so that's what I'm up to. And if you think that that's cool and you want to collaborate on something or you want to hire me to talk to you about it, um, that's how you can find me. And I'm happy to do that. Awesome. So this has been such an amazing conversation, Becca. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your transparency and your vulnerability to engage us in this conversation. But you don't look autistic. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of Decoded. And to all of you who are listening, we want to know, what were your biggest takeaways from this conversation? What coded language do you want us to unpack for you next? Please share it with us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, or you can reach us at Language and Culture Worldwide or LCW. Until next time, I'm Larry Baker, and this has been Brave Conversations with LCW.